um, I want to talk a little bit about the faith of the true church. Faith of the true church. But what I'd like to do is look uh, through a particular example that we see here in uh, the first chapter in the book of Exodus. So um, if you're not familiar with the story, um, we find that uh, Joseph, during a time of uh, famine, is able to supply food to his brothers that have come to Egypt looking for food. I'm sort of cutting this really short. Um, he'd actually been sold into slavery, if you're familiar with the story, so that's how he ended up in uh, Egypt. And uh, his brothers came to him, and eventually they moved into Egypt as well. And uh, he was at the time uh, very senior in uh, in Egypt, so he was able to look after his family. Uh, but at this stage, he's died. And uh, it says there's a new pharaoh that comes on the scene that doesn't know uh, Joseph. So things start to change, and that's where we pick the story up here. Starting in verse 7, it says, The children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Well, you see the word there, exceeding mighty. While the word does mean powerful, Perhaps the context is uh, suggesting to us not that they're necessarily a powerful people that are, are skilled in warfare and therefore to be feared in that way, uh, but the other dimension of this word that's brought out is to be numerous or perhaps even to be made strong in some way. So uh, they were a people that uh, just kept on growing in abundance um, to the point where they filled the land and the Egyptians were concerned about them. And then in verse 8 it says, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when they falleth out, when they falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did uh, set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they <coughs> afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigour, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and all manner of service in the field. And all their service, wherein they made them serve, was with rigour. Um, so we read here about the beginning of the children of Israel inside uh, Egypt as they grew and multiplied. And uh, eventually it's believed that they were numbering somewhere perhaps around three million at the time that they departed out of Egypt uh, to uh, cross through uh, the Red Sea, that they'd actually multiplied so significantly over that time. And uh, so they grew into this mighty nation that uh, existed there and were certainly feared by the Egyptians. And the Egyptians thought the only way that we can actually keep them down is to oppress them, is to actually make them, as it says here, to serve with rigour. Uh, and so they made them their slaves and caused them to serve in this way. But what do we read in amongst all of this. Well, back in verse 7, we read how the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly 
and multiplied and waxed mighty, and the land was filled with them. And then down in verse 12 we read, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and were grieved, or they were grieved, sorry, uh, the uh, Egyptians, because of the children of Israel. There's a point here that we should never lose sight of that's brought out through this little example that we're reading. Where God's people are, the blessing of God is assured upon his people. Whatever the circumstances that they find themselves in, the blessing of God is still there with the people of God. And it's been the same right from the very beginning of the Bible. We're only two two chapters, two books into the book of Exodus here, and we see the pattern forming. We've read of it through the book of uh, Genesis as well, as uh, those that are descended from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and so on, the twelve tribes as they become. These people were all blessed by God. And it doesn't matter what you do to the people of God, God is still going to bless them. We read of that in verse 12. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. So as I said, put your marker in this chapter. We're going to come back to it a couple of times. But turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 23. Fourth book in, Numbers 23. And uh, just uh, to pick up the story, I don't particularly want to go through the lead up to it. Uh, Balaam is a man that's been uh, uh, called by a man called Balak to uh, curse Israel um, and to bring evil upon them in some way to... uh, uh, weaken them and uh, bring them down. And yet, uh, eventually, as God works through this uh, messenger, this Balaam, uh, then eventually Balaam gets the message of what he's called to do and speaks this prophecy of God working in the lives of the children of Israel. And we just pick it up here in verse 19. It says, Now therefore I pray you, tarry you also here this night, Sorry, I'm in chapter 22. That's not going to help you. Verse uh, 19, did I say? Chapter 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I've received commandment to bless, and he is blessed, and I cannot reverse it. No matter what a man might try to do concerning the promises of God, they are irreversible. No matter what a man might try to do to suppress what God is doing in people's lives, he ultimately will fail. If, and I put a qualifier there, it's got the true faith that the church is called to have. Because it's not something that can be stopped because the blessing of God is present. We read in um, Acts chapter 5, without turning there, Gamaliel was a man that actually trained Paul the Apostle, we read. And Gamaliel, at a time of the persecution of the church, um, he actually said some words of wisdom. He said, be careful what you do here, because if this is a work of God, you won't be able to stop it. And it's the same throughout history. A work of God has never, ever been able to be stopped. However, 
Today, we look about and we look for perhaps the church. We look for uh, maybe a, a buildings and a people that would uh, seem to represent God and perhaps call themselves a church. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are the true church of God. Because the true church of God is built upon the foundation that Jesus Christ established. Well, hang on a minute. Isn't every church? Well, no, it's not. The Bible talks about uh, there being different Jesus Christs being preached. And I think, well, how can that be? Well, it's different messages or understandings of Jesus Christ that people speak about. And uh, one of the sisters here that's uh, recently baptised, uh, coming along, and uh, she says, I'm so pleased, so thrilled to be here because I'm learning what the Bible says. And in fact, I uh, was speaking to someone in Africa only earlier today in Uganda. And uh, I'll read to you his email or part of it. Um, he's a man that uh, had made some contact through uh, a lady here in Australia who then passed the contact details on to myself and then I got in touch with Pastor Joseph Mbalu from uh, Kenya. He's uh, the pastor in the Nairobi and uh, he was happening to uh, travel to Uganda and it just happens. Uh, it was only about a week after that I got this message that I knew Joseph was actually heading there. And it just happens that um, the place that he lives is about half an hour outside of um, uh, Kampala, the capital city in Uganda. It just happens, that's where Pastor Joseph was flying into. Well, it just happens here, isn't there? Um, and uh, it just happens that uh, Pastor Joseph made contact and arranged to go and see this man and uh, went there and was invited to preach to this group of people that he's got and uh, he's rather excited as a result of that. He says, I'd like to reach out uh, with our thanks and appreciation for the great work you were doing in the kingdom of God. Surely we didn't know who a true follower of Christ, sorry the English isn't the greatest here, but because of your ministry we now know how we can receive salvation. We have a great meeting with Pastor Joseph and Pastor Ezron. Pastor Ezron's with Pastor Joseph. He comes from Rwanda and has joined him there. That we know it was a divine meeting. They shared the truth from the Bible that we didn't know all along. From the Bible we believe that we know, but we didn't in actual sense. Now these are his exact words. I'm not uh, uh, tailoring them in any way. We're so much excited that now we can receive baptism and salvation according to what the Bible tells us, not how people tell us. We lost our pastor, sorry, we were lost pastor, but now we are found by him, uh, himself, through using his servants. We have time with the pastors, with all the people of the church. They preached to us, I think, till 7pm last night. We are going to organise with Pastor Joseph so that we can receive salvation in the right way as the Bible tells us. It's wonderful, isn't it? Simple little message, but an excited group of people. I've seen some photos. There was about uh, probably 30 or so adults there listening as uh, Pastor Joseph and Pastor Ezron spoke to them the words of truth from the Scriptures. I've been with both of them. I've seen them both preach before. They're wonderful uh, uh, orators are speaking the word of God to our Africans, Pastor Ezron particularly I've seen uh, in action 
and uh, he's very, very good at just going through the simple, basic salvation message of the Bible to describe to people what God can do in their lives. Now, God's not a man that he should like. Now, one thing we stand upon in the Revival Fellowship is what the Bible says and, and what will happen when we believe what the Bible says and we're prepared to take a step of faith towards God and see what God will do in our lives. Now, many of us, when we came along to our first meeting, it was just wait and see. What's God going to do? How's he going to touch my life? Is he going to make an effect with me? And by the grace of God, we found it to be true, and all the people said. We got baptised in water, we asked God for the Holy Spirit, and we spoke in tongues. And we knew instantly God was real, God was in our life, God had begun something in each of our lives in that very moment that he filled us with the Holy Spirit. The promises of God came alive into our lives and now they're part of us. And we remind ourselves, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Had he spoken, shall he not make it good? Well, the Bible contains one promise after another promise after another promise for us to take hold of. The beginning of it, it's about being born again into the kingdom of God. It is about being baptised, receiving God's Holy Spirit. The Bible says that's entering into the kingdom of God. In my mind, it's a doorway, Jesus Christ being the door, the Bible says, and then it says enter into the straight gate and stay on the narrow way. But we enter in and we found the truth. We found God's word is alive and at work in each of our lives. God's not a man that he should lie. I'm going to carry on, otherwise we'll uh, not get through all of these scriptures. I do just want to turn to... Um, now let's go back to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse 15. So the king of Egypt spoke unto the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was uh, Shipra, and the name of the other Pua. And he said... When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And I just want to focus a little bit uh, from much of the remainder of the talk on the midwives. Because these midwives showed a bit of courage, didn't they? Showed some conviction here towards God. If you notice that we read here in verse 17, the midwives feared God. Now, fear is a word that we really don't quite understand. We think of it in the word of, well, the actual Greek word in the New Testament is phobos, phobia. And we can understand that kind of word because many of us can have sorts of phobias, can't we? We had a white tip, quite a large one, sitting in the sink over there last night. And uh, some people have arachnophobia, don't they? Absolute dread and fear of a spider. And uh, there's many other kinds of fears. I don't particularly want to go through them all other than to say we can relate to that. But is that what this word is used here? The word is actually a little bit different um, than that. It's uh, yare in the original Hebrew language. 
And in fact, it has an equivalent word in almost of the old languages, almost all of the old languages, except, as it turns out, it doesn't have a direct translation into Hebrew, sorry, into um, uh, Greek. Uh, but the word here means to fear, uh, but in context to revere or hold in reverence, uh, to stand in awe at the power and position of a person resulting in respect. So what the midwives actually had was a complete awe and respect for God. In other words, they recognised the supreme position that God occupies, the authority that God has. And in that, they respected God more than Pharaoh. And there's a real message here for the church that we're to respect God more than the Pharaoh of this world. Who's Pharaoh a type of? Well, the Bible talks about we fight against principalities and kingdoms. It says against spiritual wickedness in high places or the rulers of the darkness of this world. It says uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. In other words, there is a ruler of this world that's got everything sort of the way he wants it. And is that the one that we want to worship? Is that the Pharaoh of this world that we want to bow down to and follow his direction and instruction? Or do it God's way? And as we've already seen, the children of Israel have been blessed by God. But we see in the midwives here, they've got a respect for God, a fear of God, and that in doing so, God blesses them as well, as we're about to read. I'll just read to you a couple of other verses. Don't turn there, but in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. So again, remember, this is about the reverence of God. This is about putting God in his rightful place as the supreme being over the earth, as God Almighty, as he's referred to. It says, uh, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children have a place of refuge the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Now, what would happen if the children of Israel, and the midwives here particularly, just said, okay, we'll do it your way? What would have happened? Well, the blessing of God wouldn't have been there. It's qualified. As they fear the Lord, God blesses them. In Proverbs 22, verse uh, 4, it says, By humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honour and life. Now, a lot of people look at that scripture and go, Yes, I'm going to be rich. I'm sorry to disappoint you. That's not what it's talking about. The true riches of this world are not natural material riches. Everybody will say to you, The truth of the matter is, you only need so much money to survive. And everything else above that is excess and completely unnecessary. There's a wonderful uh, proverb, I think it is, where it says, feed me with food that is convenient for me. He says, I don't want too much, lest I forget the Lord, and I don't want too little, how the rest of it goes now, um, unless he despises the Lord, or words to that effect, sorry, I'm paraphrasing there a little bit, um, so 
We just need enough to get through. We don't need any more than that. God will provide. But he's talking about the true riches that come from being part of the kingdom of God. In uh, Proverbs 23, verse 17, it says, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long, for surely that is an end. Well, there is an end. And thine expectation shall not be cut off. So, we see that with the fear of the Lord, there is something good at the end of it. It brings with it the promise of God into our life, that if we're prepared to hold to the the fear or respect of God and put that respect in its rightful place, number one, and everything else beneath that, and if we're prepared to do that, then we'll see exactly as we read there in Numbers chapter 23 and as we're reading here, the blessing of God. In verse 18, it says, The king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and saved the men children alive? And midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered here. The midwives come in unto them. In other words, a bit of old English here. They're lively. Uh, The word literally means vigorous. In other words, they give birth very quickly. It's not our fault. Uh, is what they're saying here. Um, the word ear, E-R-E, means before. They're delivered before the midwives actually get there to help out in the birth. So we get there too late, the births occurred, and uh, uh, we've missed our opportunity to kill the, the uh, men children as they're born. But we read in verse 20, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied, and waxed very mighty. Uh, God dealt well with the midwives because they made a stand, because they stood for the Lord. The word uh, dealt well there is one word, a yortab, in the original uh, Hebrew. It means to make well, literally to be sound, beautiful, happy, glad, and rejoicing. So God was happy. God was pleased with the faith of the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. The blessing of God continued. Now, I just want us to think for a moment about midwives. What do they actually do? They help the birth, don't they? How do we get into the kingdom of God? We get born again, don't we? So midwives are helping out with the birth process. It's really a story about the church, isn't it? Bringing forth. And it's the true church, not some false church, but it's the true church of God making a stand for the Lord and not prepared to compromise on the gospel salvation message. And through that comes forth the birth, comes forth the blessing of God into people's lives. Because if there isn't a true church in existence today, then how is the word being preached? We know that God can raise people up, but he brings them into the truth, doesn't he? And so it's the church that's actually doing this. So the whole story really is about a type of the church and the bringing forth of people into the kingdom of God through this example that we're reading about here. Uh, Let's um, 
Turn to Acts chapter 9. The Bible talks about the Old Testament being a shadow of the New Testament. But it says the body is that of Jesus Christ. And I often think about it like Jesus standing here in, in, in time. We look back into history. If we shine a light, it's like the shadow that's cast. You see the outline, but it's not actually the gospel message, is it? Because that's reserved for the New Testament. But it's all there. Throughout the Old Testament, there's so many types and uh, similitudes uh, that we can look at that all draw us to Jesus Christ. Here in Acts chapter 9 and uh, verse 31, it says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Got a ring to it, hasn't it, in the context of the scriptures we've just been reading back in Exodus chapter 1 there. That they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and it says the church was being multiplied. As people are prepared to walk in the fear of the Lord, in that respect for God, for his word, his truth, God's instructions, then there's an increase that God provides. In chapter 10, and uh, down in verse 34, says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And what we're called to do is to bring Jesus Christ into perspective, into his rightful place. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It's not that he's in that position because we say so. The Bible declares it. And when we put Jesus Christ into that place, then we know that good things happen in our lives. It says here that... Uh, in every nation, in verse 35, he that feareth him and works righteousness is accepted with him. God's not a respecter of persons. God doesn't really get concerned about our background, our upbringing, our education, our history in life, our achievements perhaps, or our lack of achievements in life. All of those things mean nothing to God. All God's interested in is a person turning to him and having that respect for him. And when a person does that, then we see that God starts to work in their lives. God can lead that person. God can direct them. God can fill that person also with the Holy Spirit and that change their lives. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Because having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Having that respect for God motivates us in our lives today that there's something better that we've got to look forward to. Therefore, we're prepared to prepare ourselves for that. You take the example of a, um, an athlete 
um, that knows that they're going to be in a competition at some point in the future, they have a discipline in their lives. They don't decide that their diet consists of donuts and chalk uh, milk, do they? No, they, they instead consider what uh, food they're putting into their body, their exercise regime, their preparations that they need to do. They consider their weight, uh, their physique, the muscles they need to build all these days, all the kinds of things that people do to prepare themselves to be in a competition. Well, it's much the same as being a Christian in one sense. It's preparing ourselves based on the guidance that the Word of God gives us. It's not uh, an instruction manual to prepare our bodies, to uh, um, natural bodies, that is, to live forever, but it is an instruction manual that guides us in the way to discipline ourselves to be ready for when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, to be in that best spiritual condition that we can, ready to meet the Lord when he returns for us. So it says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, things that really are not profitable in our lives. We just want to shed them off and put on good things that uh, the Bible speaks about that we want to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit of love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith and temperance, that we want to shape ourselves the way that the Lord wants us to be, that we might be useful for his plan and purpose uh, today. The Amplified Bible reads this verse a little bit differently. It says, Therefore, since these great promises are ours, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates and defiles body and spirit and bring our consecration to completeness in the reverential fear of God. Philippians chapter 2, we also read in verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, who knows the rest of it? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Again, it's not a phobos kind of fear. It is a fear that is a respect for God, putting God into his rightful place, recognising our position and therefore what we need to do. Uh, turn again while we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll make this our last few scriptures. In verse 16, it says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And uh, it's an interesting passage that we've just read here, describing to us that uh, we're not to faint, we're not to weaken our resolve in the things of God. Even though naturally, as we get older, our body starts to struggle more to cope and keep up with the pace and so on. It says our outward man is perishing, it's not as physically strong as it once was, but it says the inward man is being renewed day by day, the spirit inside. And it says our light affliction, which is but for a moment, now, this life that we go through, the Bible describes it in the book of James as being like a vapour. 
and uh, it's like it's there one minute and gone the next. Have you ever watched um, chimneys in industrial uh, plants and the steam that they push out into the air? Um, we used to live uh, down in Rockingham there uh, many years ago and um, you drive along what's called the Quinana Strip, the industrial area, for those who might know it, and you drive along there, you see all these chimney stacks and you see this smoke coming up and it just evaporates into the air. It might rise 10 metres into the air or, or some distance and then it just disappears. And the Bible saying it's like our life. We're not built in a way that physically we're going to last forever. But it says it's like a light affliction and it's working in us something that's far better in the end. Verse 18 also points out that we're looking at things today that are temporal. Everything we can see with our natural eyes. Bible says that it will pass away. It says the word of God endures forever. The word of God. Nothing natural that we can see. Um, so the things that are not seen, such as the kingdom of God, is something that will be eternal. In verse 1 of chapter 5 it says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, in other words, living our life in this body that we have today, it says we groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. There's one verse I missed back in uh, Exodus chapter 1. Just turn back there, if you will. Let's read verse 20 again. Therefore God dwelt well, or dealt well with the midwives, the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. Does that seem a bit of an odd statement? Why would you just bring out that he made them houses? Well, in the context of what we've just read there, and I'm just going to turn back to it in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, it says, We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The house that the midwives had might have been a natural one that was given to them, but it's given to us as a type of the house that we have to look forward to. As the faithful church of God, continuing to make a stand for the truth of God's word, then there is a future that is prepared and ready. As it says, an earthly house of this tabernacle being dissolved, we have a building of God that is made not with literal hands, but it says it's eternal in the heavens. The house that we have, the one to come, is the future with Jesus Christ when he returns to this earth living forever with him. Amen.